0: Again, the URL is unchangedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marketing names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the its scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto full-time five years ago as a senior editor at Forbes and was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time unchained and unconfirmed are now published as videos if you're not yet subscribed to the unchained youtube channel head to youtube.com slash c slash unchained podcast and subscribe today need cash but don't want to sell your crypto use nexo's instant crypto credit lines and withdraw funds today starting from only 5.9 percent apr create an account at nexo.io Crypto.com is waiving the 3.5% credit card fee for all crypto purchases. Download the Crypto.com app today. Today's guest is Nadav Hollander, co-founder and CEO of Dharma. Welcome, Nadav.
1: Thank you, Laura. It's good to be here.
0: There's been quite a number of developments in DeFi this week. Let's talk about one of the biggest ones, which involves Uniswap and SushiSwap. For those who missed the Unchained episode earlier this week, we talked about all the category of decentralized exchanges known as automated market makers. These are not order book-based exchanges, but instead exchanges in which listed token pairs are priced according to an equation in which multiplying the prices of the two tokens in the pair will always equal a constant Uniswap is the dominant AMM, or automated market maker. It's so dominant that it recently overtook Coinbase in 24-hour volume. However, it does not have a token. So an anonymous account forked the code to create SushiSwap, which is pretty much Uniswap, but with a token. It garnered $700 million in total locked value within three days of announcing the project. And as of the time of this recording, the total value is over a billion dollars. Nadav, do you think that this is a positive or a negative development? And which um, of these projects are you rooting for and why?
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Um, can I give like a hedged answer here? Yeah, <laughs> um, of course. I can give you a multidimensional <laughs> answer here. Uh, I think that conceptually, um, the fact that we're in a place in DeFi where um, uh, these, sort of, these sorts of adversarial experiments can be spun up super, super easily, Um, and the community is, frankly, like, robust and technically knowledgeable enough that, um, you know, within a matter of days, if someone does a fair launch, um, the community will build a UI, and there'll be, um, you know, like, heavily populated discords with various people, you know, volunteering their efforts. The fact that we're at a place in this ecosystem's maturity where, like, this is possible, where fair launches, like, actually, like, are a reasonable possibility is like, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's in, in a good way, honestly, I think it's very, very positive. And like, look, like uh, with regards to like whether or not this is fair to the Uniswap team or whether or not this is, um, you know, positive for um, the liquidity dynamics of, um, of automated market makers, you know, I I personally find to be less, less relevant here. I think like, um, like as, uh operators in the DeFi space, like you always have to design things in a highly adversarial mindset with this notion of like everything's open source, anybody can clone what I'm doing. Um the only quote unquote moat um is you know really providing value to users. And so and so really like uh I would say that like conceptually, um I think that sushi swap is like a positive development. Um and I and I actually think that there is um, as an experiment, you know, like I, as as a as a contender in the various sort of uh, experiments that are happening right now to figure out the best way to community manage and operate um, automated protocols for trading, lending, etc. Um, so that's great, uh, and I think they have the best of intentions. Um, where I think this is a negative development is that you know, you can call me a a DeFi boomer or an ETH boomer to some degree here, but um, I feel like you and I were of the uh, generation of cryptocurrency enthusiasts who experienced things like the Dow and kind of saw the fallout that that generated and and saw how much that kind of like, frankly, like um, set back the entire crypto space. Like there was like, you know, full multi-page spreads in, in magazines about, like, this crazy DAO story. And it and it really tainted the space for a long time. Um, and that was with, like, a tenth of the value of what's being dealt with right now. The lesson that the community kind of, like, learned is, like, I feel like the the Ethereum community really, like, galvanized around this, like, kind of, like, very conservative security mindset from thereafter. Like, Like, there was this culture of, like, if you're going to release a project, it needs to be thoroughly audited. You need to have a bug bounty program. You need to have the code very, like, um, meticulously documented and manicured and, um, like, out there in an open source repository for a long time for people to review. You needed to, you know, like, to some degree, like, there's this culture that, like, didn't normalize the idea of, like, just put something out there and, like, see what happens because this stuff's dangerous. And like when you're developing smart contracts, it's like, you know, the the closest analog, in my opinion, is like it's like building like a nuclear reactor. Like it's not it's it's really, really difficult. And the consequences when you get these things wrong are like immense. So my point here is that, unfortunately, I think like. There's this culture brewing in, in the DeFi space right now, um, around fair launches where people just kind of like fork a repository, change up a couple small things, and then just deploy it. And then um within a couple days, there's like, you know, a hundred million dollars in one of these in, in one of these systems.
0: And and just to be clear, the the fairness of it is that there isn't a pre mine, there is no VCs that you know, have Uh, a kind of a stake allocated to them. Same with even the founders, they don't have anything pre-allocated. So it's just, it's fair for everybody to get in at the same, yeah, they all get in at the same level.
1: Yes. I mean, we can, we can debate whether, you know, the extent to which this is actually like, these things are actually fair. They, they tend to be, um, instead of dominated by VCs, they tend to be dominated by, um, cryptocurrency whales. So it's, it's not exactly the, um, the most egalitarian thing, but, um, but regardless, you know, it's like, I, conceptually, I'm here for it. Like, I, I, I get it. The, the problem here, though, is that, like, there's this culture brewing in this, in this fair launch world where people just, like, launch these, like, pieces of high stakes financial infrastructure with very little review, often very, very sloppily. And it's wildly dangerous, right? We saw only a few weeks ago, um, a project called YAM was deployed garnered a massive amount of value locked up in a short period of time. And then um, a critical bug was discovered um, that, uh, you know, led to a pretty significant loss of value. And so this brings me to SushiSwap, because for all of the positive intentions of SushiSwap, and for all of the, um, you know, in my opinion, like net positive effects of us experimenting with new governance models for AMMs, and so on and so forth, everything that I have seen in that what many other security researchers and smart contract developers have seen with regards to the entire execution of this project. It's like, you know, there's a term as an engineer of like a code smell. It's like, uh, where it's like, it's just like something's just off here. Like it's, it's like an everything smell, right? Like, like the code looks like it was sloppily written in the matter of like a day or two. Issues keep getting kind of like, identified by community members and then kind of like haphazardly quickly getting, get patched. Um, this thing is being rushed out of the door extremely quickly. And, you know, like at, at present moment, I wouldn't say that there is like a um, identified clear, like major red flag that is saying like, you know, like pull your money out now, this is going to like, this is definitely going to, to explode in some capacity. But there's also not a lot of assurance that that won't happen. <laughs> um, and like, if you're developing smart contracts, the biggest thing that you have to be aware of is that like the the space of known unknowns is massive. Like, it doesn't matter how many audits you get; it doesn't matter how many eyes look at things. Like, smart contracts are like radioactive. Like, they're so difficult to build um, that you have to move really, really, really slowly. And I'm seeing the exact opposite from this community right now, right? Like, the uh, actually, just this morning, a proposal was put out by the uh, pseudonymous founder of, of SushiSwap um, to actually accelerate the timeline um, of migrating all the liquidity that is being staked from Uniswap and SushiSwap um, into a native automated market maker. And so, again, like it's like, it, it's, it's really, really concerning um, because it feels like, if not sushi swap the next derivative of it or the next whatever like we are we are sort of driving ourselves as a community towards a place where an explosion is inevitable and i think there's just too much potential in this space for us to set ourselves back with with another dao essentially
0: yeah yeah and just to clarify you know how big and how I guess uh, overheated the trading was getting. So, um, Larry Cermak of the block tweeted on Tuesday that there was $175 million of sushi volume on Uniswap on Monday, which he noted was more than the volume of Bitstamp, Poloniex, and Bitrex combined over the same time period. And, you know, as he tweeted, digital sushi that didn't exist four days ago has a higher 24 volume on decentralized exchange than the entire Bitstamp. And then, you know, one other thing I wanted to flag about this um, rushed migration, I did note somebody else saying, oh, you know, again, it it feels a little suspicious that they're moving this up and doing it over what is a holiday weekend in the U.S. Almost, it's like a little sneaky. Yeah. So, and, you know, as you mentioned, more than a billion dollars of total value locked in this. So it's definitely much bigger than the Dow. And yes, to rush um, is, is a little scary. But so let's in a moment, we're going to discuss a little bit more about SushiSwap and some of the issues there, as well as what all of this activity is causing to happen on Ethereum. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. How much in fees are you paying for crypto purchases? Now, Crypto.com is waiving the 3.5% credit card fee when you buy crypto. Apart from crypto purchases, you can also get a great deal on food and grocery shopping with Crypto.com. Get up to 10% back when you pay with their MCO Visa card. No card? Use the Crypto.com app to buy gift cards for up to 20% back. Download the Crypto.com app today and enjoy these offers until the end of September. Back to my conversation with Nadav Hollander. So, one of the actually like weird aspects of this whole tussle with Sushi Swap that I wanted to draw out is that it's actually driving up the total value locked in Uniswap. So, can you just explain why that is for listeners?
1: Yeah, I mean, a, a big reason for that is that essentially, what's what's novel and interesting about this Sushi Swap experiment is that it's effectively. A instance of what's been dubbed a like vampire attack, where basically the protocol incentivizes people. So, so let me take a step back really quickly. When you deposit your funds into Uniswap, you get, um, as a, as a, um, liquidity provider, you get what are called liquidity provider tokens or LP tokens that entitle you to basically withdraw both your original principal and any sort of fees you've accumulated as a liquidity provider. So the way SushiSwap works is that it's essentially in this sort of pre-launch period, which it's in at the moment, users are incentivized to deposit their Uniswap LP tokens into the SushiSwap system, where they continue to be operating in Uniswap, um, but they are earning rewards um, in the form of Sushi to uh, to their address, essentially. And the idea is that at some point, uh, a, f- a switch is going to flip and... Everybody who has their Uniswap liquidity provider tokens staked in this Sushi Swap system, their liquidity is going to be kind of pulled out of Uniswap and put into the um, uh, the Sushi Swap system. Um, so it's kind of like this like um, this big incentivized system for forking liquidity away from uh, from Uniswap. This has, for two reasons, um, created a dynamic in which more and more liquidity is getting locked into Uniswap. Number one. You know, it just so happens that this sushi meme has taken off like significantly enough where this token is valuable and um, you can actually make a lot of money um, just providing liquidity to Uniswap and taking your LP shares and putting them in the sushi system and farming these these sushi tokens. Moreover, the second reason why it's caused the Uniswap uh, liquidity to balloon so much um, is the sushi token itself, Right. So the, the way that the SushiSwap system works, if you provide, if the LP token that you stake is um, of the Sushi ETH pair, you essentially earn, a, I'm not sure what the exact multiple is, but it's like either 2X or 5X the amount of rewards essentially, so as to incentivize liquidity in this like Sushi token. And so as a result... For a variety of reasons, which is a whole conversation of topic of its own, a yield farming token designed as SushiSwap is, if it takes off enough as a meme, can very, very quickly like accumulate a lot of market cap. And the vast majority of the Sushi market cap right now is like sitting in Uniswap LP tokens for Sushi ETH because it's extremely valuable um, as a yield farming asset. As a result, like there's this crazy weird like self referential derivative thing happening here where essentially like a massive portion of that um, liquidity that has now entered Uniswap is actually just sushi tokens that are being staked in or rather that are being used to generate LP shares that are being staked in the uh, sushi swap system uh, in order to generate more sushi. Um, and sort of repeat the process over and over again. And so, then
0: will eventually be used to suck liquidity out of Uniswap, which is correct.
1: the irony. Correct. I mean, in theory, we'll see what happens, but that's the goal.
0: Yeah. And that's what, you know, he was the Chef Nomi, the creator of SushiSwap, who's trying to make happen a little bit faster this weekend. Um, and it, I just wanted to know what you thought was going to happen, because Uniswap is planning to come up with its own version three, perhaps by year's end do you think it will happen in time or do you think that sushi swap could really take off before they're able to, you know, kind of come back and, and make a counter move?
1: I think that ultimately, look, there, there, it's hard to opine on what will happen on like a short term basis with regards to like what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Like I could give you like five different outcomes here, ranging from like the migration completely fails um, to like uh, you know, a big chunk of liquidity gets migrated over, and um, you know, sushi swap kind of starts to you know garner some sort of uh, popularity in terms of trading fees, and kind of operates as this parallel system to Uniswap for a while. Like, there's a lot of different possibilities on what can happen, but I think like we all need to take a step back and just remember that like when you add a token into a system, it is it needs to be a token in service of the protocol, and not like. Um just a protocol in service of coming up with a reason for a token. And it, it seems like the the sushi swap system at the moment, like the fundamental end user value innovation that it's providing, it's it's just community ownership. And at that, you know, debatable community ownership in terms of how much is actually necessary, um, given that Uniswap is already a governance minimized system. And so it's, you know, like the the point that I'm trying to make here is that like the end user value to the to the trader to the person who's actually like paying the service who's paying the fees is identical between these two different systems, um, and ultimately the system that will succeed is the one that um, garners the most trading fees. And uh, the the fact of the matter is is that like the uh, it's easy to fork Uniswap and add a token to it. It's much harder to make Uniswap. V three and come up with like you know a more novel and extensible or interesting AMM design that provides more value to end users. And so ultimately, the point that I'm trying to make is that like the protocol that's going to win out is the one that provides the most end value to traders. And you know, will Sushi Swap be able to build the community that uh, is able to to innovate in that capacity? Maybe. Um, and I, I'd, I'd love to be proven wrong here. And I think um, the Wi-Fi community is kind of demonstrating that um, fair launches can really sort of attract a lot of the greatest minds in the space to contribute. Um, so so maybe that will happen. But um, my personal bet is probably going to be on the Uniswap team uh, there, given that, yeah, they, they've demonstrated a track record of being rigorous, of being innovative and um, and delivering. So...
0: Yeah, yeah, I was I was thinking more of that mindset kind of like a VC mindset that um <laughs> you know it's it's probably more about the team if the products are not that different and obviously there's a lot of risks being taken by one side and there's a lot of money put in, so you know if you get burned, then um, you're probably not going to be super loyal to that, um, to that team. But we'll see what happens. So one of the other big issues to come out of this yield farming craze is that the blocks are extremely full on Ethereum, which is pushing fees way up. Some people are paying things like you know forty dollars for a trade on Uniswap, and I'm sure there's a lot more. Uh, you know that people are shelling out to do yield farming, which is you know, takes more complex tr- transactions. Your product, Dharma, is a solution for the high fees. Tell us how that works.
1: Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I wouldn't quite say that it's a it's an end all be all solution, but effectively, what, what Dharma does is that um, instead of you having to like, b- basically, our our moniker is that like you shouldn't have to think about gas. You shouldn't have to like. Um, worry about gas you can just use Dharma in order to make a trade um, and you don't have to deal with paying any sort of gas fee now to be clear that doesn't necessarily mean that we are just shelling out money like and giving it away for free in order to pay for the actual transactions themselves um, effectively the way that we're able to offset that is that we take what's known as a slippage fee meaning uh, essentially uh, we calculate what we believe is kind of the Slippage buffer on the trade that is most likely to make it go through, um, but is also kind of most fair for the pair uh, given its liquidity, and then whatever slippage is actually realized, we take the difference between that and the and the fee that we quoted you. Point being here, um, essentially, what we're able to do is that for you know for many traders, especially smaller traders, um, if you're using Dharma, you are going to pay way less in gas fees than you would um, on a, uh, you know, interacting directly with Uniswap. And you are much, much less likely to deal with, you know, having transactions not go through correctly or having your MetaMask get jammed up for whatever reason, and so on and so forth. And so effectively, like the, the TLDR here is that like, um, we take what is like a uncertain and highly technical process in which you need to kind of dial your gas price knob uh, in order to make sure that your uh, your transaction actually gets mined um, and turn that into a basic trading experience in which you just see a simple slippage fee and your transaction goes through the vast majority of the time. And for most users, um, you save a considerable amount of money.
0: Yeah, I did see some of the stats that your um, company released on that. And it looks like maybe it's not the whales that are using your products, but kind of a, a more everyday person who finds it useful and is able to take advantage. Um, all right. Well, this has been such a fascinating discussion. I'm sure we will see what happens with SushiSwap and Uniswap. And um, there will be more opportunities to discuss what's going on with Dharma in the future. So thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed.
1: All right. Thank you, Laura.
0: Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. With the latest ups and downs in the world's economy, investors need new ways to grow their wealth. Nexo offers a high-yield interest product with up to 10% APY on your crypto, stablecoins, and fiat. You can also borrow cash or stablecoins using your crypto as collateral at APRs as low as 5.9%. And there's the Nexo token that gives holders access to various bonuses and a dividend that is scheduled soon. You can find more info about the Nexo token at nexo.io slash token. That's nexo.io slash token. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline, DEX volumes hit new all-time high as Uniswap overtakes Coinbase. Decentralized exchanges saw $11.6 billion in trade volume in August, up from less than $1 billion in January. This sets a third consecutive monthly record in DEX volume, up from $4.5 billion in July. As Denis Vinokurov, head of research at Bequant, told Coindesk, it indicates that the DeFi flipping is real and already here. Uniswap is leading the charge in decentralized exchange growth with a reported 283% increase in 24-hour trading volume from July to August, and more than $1 billion in trading volume on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, which was roughly 50% higher than the 24-hour volume on Coinbase Pro at the time. To illustrate just how massive the increase in trading on Uniswap has been, Larry Cermak of The Block posted a graph on Twitter showing the staggering increase in unique trading addresses on Uniswap alone in the last few months. Frank Chaparro, also of The Block, posted a diagram showing the exp- exponential growth in Google searches for Uniswap this year, which began shooting up in April but have, since, but have quadrupled since July. It's not all unicorns and rainbows, however. While the surging volumes on decentralized exchanges present a challenge to establish centralized exchanges like Coinbase, they've also increased fees on Ethereum due to congestion. Next headline. Why Earn's Why Vault Makes It Easy to Yield Farm? YEARN Finance has launched a vault for yield farming with ETH. As the recently departed chief of oracles at MakerDAO, Mario Conti, explained to the Bankless podcast, put simply, this will make it easy for anyone who holds ETH to get involved with yield farming. Think betterment, but for yield farming. Because YEARN utilizes the automated market maker curve, stablecoin deposits won't be required, as has been the case with previous yield farming projects. Anthony Sassano, in his Daily GUE newsletter, explained how the YETH vault works. After a user deposits his or her ETH, it is put in MakerDAO to borrow DAI, which is then deposited in CRV to withdraw its liquidity provider tokens and earn CRV tokens. The CRV is then recycled into ETH by buying more on the open market. Because YERN uses smart contracts to find the best yield, gas costs for multiple operations are ostensibly spread across several users' saving on transaction fees. On Tuesday's Bankless, Conti referred to the vault as the smart contract equivalent of, quote, set it and forget it, because, quote, you are earning a lot of money on your ETH without losing exposure to your ETH. But as the host of Bankless, as well as Asano noted, this does not come without risks, as the creator of y famously tests in production, which means... Putting your money in smart contracts whose level of security is unknown. For those of you who are watching on the video, this image, which if you have some background in how MakerDAO works, in how Curve works, in, you know, all these different yield farming projects work is pretty easy to follow and it breaks down exactly how this vault in, um, wire works. All right. Next headline. Gas fees on Ethereum reach all time high, putting focus on scaling. With all this yield farming activity on Ethereum, it's no wonder that, according to the block research, Ethereum miners generated record fee revenue of $17 million on September 1st, which is almost four times higher than at the peak of the 2017 2018 frenzy. However, Ethereum's exorbitant fees highlight the limitations presented when it comes to scaling DeFi. On the Zero X blog, Remco Bloman argued that at present, Ethereum has become a place for the rich, as only whales can profit from trading with such high transaction costs. However, he says simply raising gas limits then creates risks for Ethereum security. He analyzes whether it's possible to scale at layer one, but concludes the only reliable solution, aside from focusing on layer two, is, quote, to tear everything down and rebuild it from the ground up. Ethereum creator Vitalik Buterin posted a lengthy Twitter thread arguing against trying to solve the problem of high gas fees by artificially setting gas prices higher or lower, which he calls naive. He advocates for increasing transaction capacity through scaling, citing migration to the scaling solution ZK Rollups by Tether, Bitcoin, and other apps as the best solution. Next headline. Has DeFi reinvented the FAIR launch? In case you haven't noticed, everyone is excited now about FAIR launches. Many crypto projects have attracted criticism over distribution mechanisms that favored early adopters. Enter the FAIR launch, a trend kicked off by YERN's YFI token, which launched without a pre-mine, without founder equity, and without venture capital. At Darebit Insights, Hasu analyzes the FAIR launch, looking at previous altcoin launches and noting that projects that on the surface look FAIR are often not so. He says investors should scrutinize any coin advertising a fair launch as a core feature to see if there are any possible exploits. Ian Lee, the managing director of IDEO CoLab Ventures, wrote in his email newsletter synthesis a post titled, Fair launches will disrupt crypto VC. He says, quote, if fair launches become more common, sophisticated and successful, they should scare the shit out of crypto VCs. He believes they will become more fair and not advantage whales as much as current fair launches do, and reward people not just for short-term activity, but also for longer-term actions and other forms of participation, such as voting and proposals. He also thinks that returns will not scale one-to-one with the amount of liquidity one has, again, in an attempt to keep whales from earning a disproportionate amount of rewards. In a subsequent post, he argues that fast follower forks, such as SushiSwap, will become more common and that projects without a token have a higher risk of having their project forked, tokenized, and fair launched. He also said that projects will now have to be careful to not take on too much venture capital. Next headline, the SEC is keeping a close eye on DeFi. In an interview with the Block, Securities and Exchange Commissioner Hester Peirce said the SEC is taking notice of DeFi and the questions it's posing, saying, quote, I think it's going to challenge the way we regulate while Peirce admitted that DeFi regulation isn't at the top of the SEC's list of priorities, she concedes that the agency is following the space closely. Peirce, who is known as Crypto Mom, has shown a keen interest in the cryptocurrency industry and stated that the delicate line between fostering innovation and protecting investors will become even more precarious with the rise of DeFi. Next headline, Help Potoshi Mine Strategically to Protect the Bitcoin Network. Sergio Demian Lerner, the researcher who has looked into the early mining habits of a miner he believes was Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto, and who discussed his findings on a recent episode of Unconfirmed, has discovered that this miner used a mining algorithm not included in the release of the first Bitcoin client. Lerner, not being one hundred percent sure of the identity of this miner, has nicknamed the miner Patoshi. Lerner recently re-mined Bitcoin's first eighteen thousand blocks and discovered that Potoshi's miner did not mine the way the early public software did. While the public software, which is ostensibly searching for a number that will enable it to mine the next block, would do one sweep for this number, Potoshi would do multiple sweeps. Additionally, Potoshi reduced the hash rate of his or her miner several times that first year, plus likely shut down his or her miner for five minutes every time Potoshi mined a block, so as to foster competition and create a diverse set of miners. On the other hand, Potoshi would also turn on his or her miner when there wasn't a lot of other computers on the network. Lerner says, quote, I conclude that the most plausible explanation is that he was protecting the network. Time for fun bits. How Dan Robinson Lost Someone's Money to a Front-Running Bot. This week's Unchained guest, Dan Robinson of Paradigm, published a blog post about a conundrum he was posed with last week. Someone had accidentally sent their Uniswap liquidity tokens to the pair contract itself where anyone could grab them if they realized the tokens were there. The challenge for Dan was that because of front-running bots that scour the mempool, which is the area where pending transactions wait, he realized that once he submitted a transaction to rescue the funds, any front-running bot could see the money, which, as he put it, would be like, quote, would be like flashing a free money sign pointing directly at this profitable opportunity. He entails all the machinations he went through to try to obscure the transaction and stealthily secure his friend's money. Read his post to find out what happened and to learn why you should never underestimate a front-running bot. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Nadav and Dharma, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Don't forget, you can now watch video recordings of the show on the Unchained YouTube channel. Go to youtube.com slash c slash Unchained podcast and subscribe today. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Daniel Nuss, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening.